Good morning, beloved Orangewood. It is so good worshiping our great God with you. And this is my favorite time of year. Is this not awesome? I mean, let's start off with the weather. Is it not like perfect? I've rediscovered my back porch uh, and be able to go outside. And it's been so, so nice. And then Thanksgiving, my second favorite holiday after Christmas, because it has family, friends, and food. Uh, You know, the three things you're going to need, and it's a a great time to be grateful. But I know this, when you have family and friends together around food, it's not always a great time. So some of you are saying, yes, Thanksgiving week. Some of you are saying, oh, please, God, get me through this. So no matter where you are in the story, I hope and pray this, that you'll be incredibly thankful for what God has given to us, the way he loves us the way he provides for each and every one of us. And again, a very special uh, Thanksgiving to all of you. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the book of Galatians, it's actually a a letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia uh, some time ago. And we're making our way through this letter, uh, incredible letter, uh, under the title of There's One Gospel. There's One Gospel, and this gospel means good news. And what it is, it's good news of what God has done for us. It's not just good advice of what we should do to try to earn our way or to have God like us or approve of us. This is really good news, that God would love you and me enough. He would love sinners like us so much that he would send to us a Savior. Everything that God requires of us is holy God. God provides for us through his Son. And this is such good news that in him, we're part of family. In him, we are forgiven. In him, we are loved. In him, we are, we are free. And so I hope that reality is going to hit each and every one of you. For some, it might be for the first time. And for some, you might be saying, man, this is like, like the first time I've heard it, but I've heard it all of my life. Because it truly is amazing the way that God loves and provides for all of us. Okay, how many of you are watching the TV show, one of the most popular right now, This Is Us? Any This Is Us fans out there? Well, Katie and I are loving it. And if uh, you like TV shows that are emotionally uh, draining at times, if you like to cry every week, uh, if you like to see reality of life, it could be for you. It's a a pretty amazing story. Let me tell you a, a little bit about it. It's a story, and I love the way they tell the story, by the way. Because you're kind of like from the past, the present, you kind of wrapped around. The story unfolds in a really, really clever way. The setting begins in Pittsburgh. It begins with a young couple that are expecting their first children. And they have triplets. Can you imagine starting off that way with kids? They have three. Uh, And as they have these kids delivered, one of the three doesn't make it through the childbirthing process. And they lose one. But amazingly, on the same day that these children were born and that one passed, there was a baby that was dropped off at a fire station in town and brought to the hospital. They thought, you know what? Maybe this is the way that we're supposed to have these triplets. It's interesting. The baby that was abandoned and dropped off was a, a black baby. And the baby, uh, the other babies were in a white family. So it kind of tells the story of this is us and, and how they try to find their own way, especially the one who was adopted. His name's Randall. He's one of my favorite characters, really bright guy, a great dad, a, a great husband. Uh, he struggles a bit with anxiety, wants to get everything right, wants to make sure uh, everything is lined up in, in proper ways for those of us who, who are like that. That's Randall. But Randall wants to adopt. 
Although he has two natural, beautiful children of his own with his wife, he wants to adopt because he knows the joy of adoption. He knows what it meant to him. He knew that his life was forever changed from not one who was abandoned at the fire station to one who was brought in, the one that was loved. And he wanted that experience to be shared. But they, they went beyond that as he and his wife discussed it and wrestled with it. I mean, let's have pause here. You know, that's a big deal to, to bring someone in, uh, to bring somebody into your family. What, what incredible love. But they realized that maybe we don't just bring someone in who's just starting off life. Let's get somebody who's had an experience in life. Let's maybe foster a child. So they bring in an a, a older girl who's had a really uh, troubled past. And it's so interesting watching the family relate to her and try to have her receive love, to have her receive uh, just affection and welcome. Because when you're, when you're kind of uh, abused and when you have a rough past, uh, it's hard to receive that sometimes. As a matter of fact, there's a scene that was like, I immediately wept over because Randall, the dad, raised his voice to this foster girl to kind of correct her and raise her voice. And, and raising the voice, she immediately cowered. She immediately raised up to protect herself. And you just wept knowing there's a reason why she's doing this. She's, she's been battered. She, she's been abused. And, and now to understand love and forgiveness, it's an incredible thing called This Is Us. You see, the Bible is a story of this is us. It's a story of us. It's a story of God's family. It's a story of how God loves those who were orphaned, those who uh, were abused by sin and, and, and brokenness. It's a story of this is us, of how God comes and, and rescues us. And he rescues us uh, through his son, through his son's life and death and resurrection, that he not only rescues us, he adopts us. He, he brings us into his family. This is us, that we are his beloved children. And he wants us to experience everything it means to be a child of God. He wants us to experience the fullness of that. He wants us to miss nothing of that. It's not enough that he came to set us, uh, to, to set us free, but he wants us to live in that freedom. He wants us to live in that family. You know, we have a history in our sin and brokenness. And, and sometimes it's hard for us to know what it really like, looks like for us to live as forgiving, loved children of God. For us to really live like those who have been set free. Because we have a tendency to live not as sons, but as slaves, as orphans. But God has called us to himself. We're going to look at three things as we continue this series. The first thing we're going to see is the purpose of our freedom. Why did God give us such freedom in Christ Jesus? The second thing we're going to look at is what does it look like for us to be falling away from our freedom? And what is possible with falling from freedom? And the third thing we're going to see is the proper use of our freedom. What did God give us freedom for? What is the purpose of that? So that's the things we're going to look at this morning. Again, if you have your Bibles, we're in Galatians 5. We've made our way through chapter 5. If you don't have your Bibles, that text is for you in your bulletin. It'll also appear on the screen behind us. Um, we have a couple of more weeks uh, this week and next week before Advent. Uh, then we have one more week of, of this series. I'm going to pick up the first week in January. It's a perfect fit for us to start the year and to close this one up. So uh, for those of you who keep track of those things, that's where we are. This morning, we're going to read God's word starting in chapter 5, verse 1 through verse 15. But let's be mindful that God didn't give us this story uh, just to entertain us. He gave us this, ready for this, to say, this is us. 
This is who we are. This is a family. Uh, This is who we are in Christ Jesus. He gave us this to transform us uh, because of the work of his son and the power of his spirit. So let's, uh, let's hear the word of the Lord read. Again, of all the things we do in this worship service, this is the most perfect thing that we'll do because this is God's word. And whoever you are and wherever you've been, God wants to speak to you. And that's really cool. So why don't you lean in and listen to the word of the Lord. Galatians 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if anyone accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, that's the law, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the incredible freedom that you have offered to us in the good news of this gospel, that a freedom that we are not just to have, but to enjoy, to live our lives in the light of that reality. And oh God, I pray that that freedom would be experienced by each and every one of us here. The freedom that would remove us from our sin and our shame, that would lift us again And remind us of our sonship in Christ Jesus. Thank you for a freedom that we have. It's incredible that sinners like us can call to you because of this gospel and the power of the Spirit, Abba, Father. So Abba, Father, speak to us. Speak to us through a broken sinner like me. God, give us ears to hear your voice. Give us minds to understand your word and what this means for us. Give us hearts that would embrace your truth and embrace the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. And God, give give us feet that not only walk in a manner worthy of your name, but walk in a way that just declares that we are free, we are loved, and we are yours. God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, this gospel freedom, would you use those things again to set us free and to make us more like your son? 
And we pray in his holy and matchless name. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me. And the first thing we're going to see is the purpose of our freedom. When I read this passage, when I hear these words of Paul, what I really hear is uh, the words of William Wallace from Braveheart. You know that, that great old movie where he will declare freedom, freedom. And you have an incredible warrior, a warrior in Scotland who will lay his life down for freedom, freedom at any cost. Well, this text points to someone so much greater than William Wallace. This points to the ultimate warrior, the ultimate one who would wrestle with gods and our enemies to provide for us freedom, freedom in Christ Jesus. And so may we hear that call. And this is what Paul is just hammering home. He's telling us about this gospel, this good news of what Christ has done. And he's, he's presenting it to us because there were some who have come alongside what Paul had been doing and preaching the gospel. And they said, well, really, Jesus isn't enough. If you really want to be right before God, if you want to be declared righteous, if you want to be justified, what you have to do is you have to have a little bit of Jesus, of faith in him, but you also have to have Moses. And so things like circumcision, things like some religious ceremony needs to be done. You need to place yourself under the law. So they're basically saying, so, so for you to be right, for you to be free, it's Jesus and Moses. It's, it's you and God doing everything you can. And Paul's like, that's not freedom. That's slavery. That's, that's not right. That's bondage. And really, uh, the only way we're going to be free is through the work of Christ. And, and what is that, that, that purpose of freedom? Again, as he talks about for freedom's sake, you've been set free, it really ties us back to that last chapter uh, in the end of chapter four. And he uses an allegory. It's an interesting way he's, he's describing our freedom in Christ. And what he does is he talks about a story that's true of the Bible. He talks about two women, uh, Sarah and Hagar, and that these women represented two covenants or two ways in which people relate to God. A covenant of works, meaning what I do justifies who I am before God, and a covenant of grace and of promise of everything that God has done for us. And these two women and these two covenants, they, rep- they also have two children, a-, a slave and a free, Isaac and Ishmael. And it's basically saying, now listen, you're only set free. Freedom comes only in Christ Jesus. Only in him can we be set free. Now, as Americans, we hear this and say, well, what, what does this have to do with us? We've always been free. We- I live in a free country. So what kind of freedom is God talking about here? It's much more than a political freedom. He's talking about this, that in Christ Jesus, we are free. We've got to understand this. We are free from the demands of the law. God gave us the law. He gave it to through Moses. And, and there are a lot of demands in there. But in Christ Jesus, here's the beautiful thing. Everything that God required of us through the law, God provided for us in Christ. So he comes and he fulfills the requirements of the law. And so here's this radical grace that we owe the law nothing, nothing. The demands of the law in Christ Jesus, 100% fulfilled, but there's more. The law would also say that if anyone breaks the law, that there is a curse for breaking the law. Now I know that you're like me. We're knuckleheads and we break the law. In thought, word, and deed. We continually break the law. We don't love God the way we should. We don't love our neighbors the way we should. We, we think and act and do the wrong things 
all, all the time. And so, but God is saying, I'm just going to set you free because that curse that you deserve from breaking the law, amazingly, Jesus on the cross absorbs that curse for us. Paul's going to remind us that curse is anyone who hangs on the tree. So what's fulfilled? What freedom are we talking about here? Really it's two things. The demands of the law. In Christ Jesus, if you're a Christian, we owe zero, zippo, nothing to the law when it comes to demands. And secondly, the curse of the law. It's been completely absorbed so the blessings from completing the law can be ours. But we're more than that. We're free to know that we are justified. We're declared not guilty. We're accepted by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. That's not of ourselves. So what he's saying is this is the reality. You're free from the power and you're free from the penalty of sin. You're free from the power of sin that now God in Christ Jesus has given you a new nature. That no longer are you have to be a slave to that sin. But not only that, you're, you're set free from the penalty of that sin. Because the wages of sin is death. But Jesus has still paid, he paid that for you. The truth is, you're still a mess. You're not free from the presence of sin. The presence of sin is still there, is it not? Is it not actively at your door every day? Are you still not a mess in the word, thought, and deed in many ways? But because of that reality, God wants to proclaim to you, remember, remember your freedom. That's not your identity. Your identity is what you're, your identity is not in what you're not. Your identity is in what Christ is. So you're free, free from the power and penalty of sins, but free to know that you're accepted and loved in Christ Jesus by God the Father. This is really good news you can't miss. It's basically saying this. It's not about your performance. It's not about your good days or your bad days. It's not about when you feel it, when you don't. It's not about when you're being really good and moral and religious and when you're not. The reality is, is who you are in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ Jesus, watch this, you are forever loved and accepted and he'll never turn his back on you. Your acceptance is always gonna be true and complete in him because he, you and I are beloved in Christ Jesus. Our acceptance, that's great. That's freedom. I mean, listen, God wants you to live your life in freedom and not to wonder one nanosecond, does God love me and accept me? Well, yeah, in Christ Jesus, he does. You see, Jesus Christ is the ultimate liberator. He came to seek and to save the lost. And to do it, he had become one of us. But to liberate us, he gave his life for us. Why? So that we would be free. The life of freedom. That's the purpose of it. So that we could call Father, uh, God the Father, Abba Father. And here's the reality. So we could live like sons and not like slaves. This is our story. We live like sons, not slaves. For freedom, it says, Christ has set you free. It's like almost a redundancy. He's basically saying this. Listen, this, this Christianity not only gives you salvation and hope for the life to come, this changes the reality of your life right now. You're to live your life radically different. You're to live your life no longer as a slave, but as a son. One who is completely set free. One that Jesus was enough for your life. He really was. And now live your life in that freedom. He paid the price and the price was steep, but he wants you to live now according to that freedom. He's like, don't put yourself again under the yoke of slavery, that, that law, that works, that righteousness. And when they do that, they're trying to figure out what will determine my relationship with God only in Christ Jesus. Christ wants you to stand firm in your freedom. And here's the reality, Christian, that is your identity. What does that mean? 
You don't have to hang your head because of your sin and your shame. It's been paid. You don't have to live your life like thinking, oh gosh, I'm not good enough. I'm not right. I, listen, quit it. Stop it. It's not your identity. If you are in Christ Jesus, if, if you are his, your identity is in his blood and righteousness. That's beautiful. Okay, so we see this purpose of our freedom. Our purpose is that we are free. So we live our lives in freedom. The second thing is we see falling from freedom. And interesting, falling from freedom is adding anything to the gospel of grace. It's saying, if you're trying to say Jesus plus anything, and then for them it was Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus Moses, and anything we add to the gospel of grace, it's, it's a loss. You can't add anything. Here's what it's saying. It's kind of radical. It's saying it's the gospel is everything or it's nothing. It's all or it's not. You are saved by God's grace or you are saved by your works. You can't have both. Sometimes you think, well, that sounds pretty exclusive. Sounds like it's pretty radical. It is. When Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life, he means it. He's not just a way. He's not just a truth. He's not just a life. When he says there's no other way to the Father except through me, he means it. But everything that he has provided for us to have access to the Father, he freely gives to us. So in the gospel, it's the gospel, your identity, or it's not. It's not a blend of these things. We're either saved by grace or we are saved by works. And to add circumcision and to try to be justified and follow the law of Moses, it says it's falling from grace. Now, we gotta, we gotta, that's pretty radical. Because you want to say, well, wait a second, I've embraced Christ and now I'm trying to be more moral. Now I'm trying to do the right law thing. Isn't that good? Well, yes, you want to try to please God, but you're trying to do it to earn your salvation. And that's falling from grace. That's a religion of works and it never works. It's grace through faith in Christ alone. Now we got to understand with this, when he says you're falling from grace, is that you and I, we could lose our freedom but we can never lose our salvation. According to scripture, this is such good news, is that you can't lose your salvation. Now, here's the truth. Now, think about this for a minute. If you could do something or not do something that causes you to be disqualified or, or to be out of the family, then it is not about grace. It's about works. Isn't it true? If there's anything that you could do or not do that drives you out once God starts a good work in you, it's not about grace, it's about you and works. And that's not what salvation's about. It's all about his grace. Scripture will say, he who began a good work in you, the God who is gracious and who gives us the, the gift of faith, the God who has done everything that the Father requires, he who began a good work in us, ready for this? He's the one whose faith will complete it. Salvation isn't even dependent on you to do it Right? It's incredible. It's God who will say, nothing will save, uh, separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing, not height, depth, demons, powers, life, death. Nothing separates us from the love of Christ. That's really good news. And when Jesus says, I know my sheep, they hear my voice, they follow me, the ones the Father gave me. And guess what? I don't lose any of them. And not losing any of them means not losing any of them. So we can't lose our salvation if we are in the family in Christ Jesus. That's all by God's grace, all through faith in Christ Jesus. But we can lose our freedom. We can lose our freedom. And how do we do that? Well, losing our freedom is trying to prove your worth and justify yourself before God. And you know that we have a tendency to do that in the flesh. We want to earn it ourselves. If you live your life like many of us do, asking this haunting question, am I good enough? 
That's not freedom, that's slavery. Do you ask yourself that question? Do you know that in my study, I have a little three by five card and it was written, I think, by a, a, a small child, by the way the handwriting is. Well, could have been my handwriting actually. It was actually a, a worship service that we did here. We asked that we would bring some things and nail it to the cross. And on that little three by five card is, I don't think I'm good enough to be loved by God. And I never want to forget that that's the way we often feel. That I'm not good enough. That I, I've messed it up too much. I mean, I've, I've, made a, I've made a debacle of my life. And that's the truth of all of our stories, by the way. But for the, for the Christian, listen, for the Christian, for those in Christ Jesus, the question is never, am I good enough? You're asking the wrong question. The question needs to be, is Jesus good enough? Is he good enough? Because we find our life in him. The question is, is Jesus' life as the spotless lamb of God, fulfilling God's law, good enough? And it was. There was no shadow of turning in with him. He was made like us in every way. He was tempted in every way, but he was without sin. Was his life good enough? That's the question. And the next question is, was Jesus' death as the sacrificial lamb of God good enough? Because he's our substitute. He was the one who, who bore the, the price that we deserve, that the wages of sin is death. He's our substitute. Was it good enough? And the answer is in Jesus' resurrection. Because God the Father is proclaiming that yes, the life was good enough, the sacrifice, the, the lamb was spotless, and the sacrifice was worthy enough that he would remove the payment, he would remove the body, and that tomb was empty, and it's a declaration to, to the whole world, to us. Jesus was good enough. Are you asking the question of your life, am I good enough? That's slavery, my brothers and sisters. God doesn't want you to live your life asking that question. He wants you to live your life knowing the reality that Jesus was good enough for you and for me. And because of that, we are forgiven and free. We also lose that freedom when we try to, to uh, let something that the world has to offer have dominion over us. Uh, when we let our addictions run free and wild and the the addictions of maybe pornography or the addictions of materialism or, or alcohol and drugs uh, take over our flesh. You know, it's interesting because Christianity says that, there's, that if you are in Christ, you're a new, creature, the new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It basically says now you're gonna have two natures. You're gonna have the sinful flesh nature. And let me tell you, it's never gonna get better. It's always gonna be a mess. It's always gonna be broken. But God made you new. You're born again. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's by the life of the spirit and, and empower that more and more. But that flesh is always going to be miserable right there with you. And the reality of Christian life is don't let that flesh rob your freedom. It wants to. It wants to rob your joy. It wants to take away your identity in Christ Jesus. Don't fall from freedom. Don't fall from grace. Live in the identity of who you are as a son. And the last thing is the proper use of our freedom. Again, the gospel is going to give us good, good news of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus and it'll tell us what he's freed us from. I think we try to make that clear. He's freed us from the law. He's freed us from sin. He's freed us from death. But what has he freed us to? We are free from that. What are we free to? And it's interesting what this text says, is it not? We are now free to love and to serve others. We're free to become servants. To serve. It's an interesting word, doulos. It's like a servant. 
And the first command about our freedom is kind of a negative command. It says, don't use your freedom for the opportunity of flesh. Don't use it selfishly. Some people say, well, it's kind of dangerous, Jeff, when you preach about grace like this, when you tell, when you tell people that your standing before God has nothing to do with what you do, it has everything to do with what Christ has to do, isn't that giving them license to do whatever they want to do? But you see, the truth of the gospel is when you realize the reality of what Christ has done for you, when you realize that he died a death in your place, when you realize that your standing is him, I don't worry about that you're going to have to just immediately think, well, I can now go do anything. You don't understand the gospel. That's the reality. If you understand the gospel that Jesus laid his life down for you, you want to say, Jesus, man, I want to live for you. I mean, you gave me everything. But the reality is, is our standing will always be in him. But don't use it selfishly. You're free, free to love and serve one another. He says the only thing that matters, it's not about religion. It's not about circumcision or not circumcision. The only thing that matters is faith through love. Here's what I think he's telling us. Your vertical relationship with God, that the most important relationship, that vertical relationship with God in Christ Jesus, listen to this, is forever secure. You, you, that identity is, is made in Christ Jesus. There's, there's life that is given that will never be taken from you. That vertical relationship, he wants you to never think about, am I okay? We know that Jesus was enough. And therefore, because of this relationship that we know in Christ Jesus, we have access to God the Father we now have the ability horizontally to love and serve each other. And we're free to love and serve each other. Let me, let me dig a little deeper. If you have to feel good about yourself, the way you live and the way you love others, you're really loving others for yourself. If you have to try to justify who you are, the way you give and the way you love and the way you serve and those good things, you're really doing it for yourself. But if you realize that you're completely free in Christ Jesus. Watch this. Then you can love and serve others no matter how they respond back to you. Because you're loved and you're free. And their response doesn't dictate your identity. It doesn't make you good or bad. Especially in marriages. Those of us who are married, let me just tell you, if you find your identity in Christ, you will be able to love your spouse like never before. Because you'll be able to love her selflessly or him selflessly. You'll be able to give because you've already received. You don't have to worry about how they respond because of one who's given his life for you. But it's true in all these things. You are set free to do this, to love and to serve others. It's interesting because the greatest commandment is to love God and serve him. I think that's already assumed in this passage. But because we are loved and that true love is giving, it will say, watch out, don't bite and devour one another. I think the only way that we bite and devour one another in life is when we try to find our life and identity from one another. How is it with you? Just examine your life for a minute. Are you someone who talks behind someone back? Are you somebody who gossips? Are you somebody who, who kind of finds pleasure or you just finds yourself doing, knocking others down? If that's the reality for many of us, well, we got to examine there's something wrong with our identity. We're not in our freedom in Christ Jesus. Somehow we're trying to gain something from taking from somebody else. And that's not what we're called to do. The law is summarized by love one another. Lay your life down for one another. Build one another up. Find your identity in him. 
well, we just celebrated Veterans Day and we know in this country, we say it oftentimes, freedom is never free, right? I mean, freedom is never free. Freedom is extremely costly. For us to be able to do, we know the sacrifice that was made. But listen, for our freedom in Christ Jesus, it was the most costly thing that ever happened. The most costly thing that God would put on flesh and dwell among us. That God would come and and he would live the life we failed to live. And he would become a sacrifice for us. It was costly. It cost Jesus his very life so that we can now freedom. And God gives us a meal to remind us of just how costly it was for us to be set free. Just how deeply God would love us. This meal is a tangible reminder. I don't know what Thanksgiving meal is going to cost you. It's going to be a bigger meal, a little more expensive. But I'm telling you, the most expensive meal that you will ever taste is the Lord's Supper. Because it's a reminder of how much God paid for your freedom. How much are you worth to God? Jesus. The meal empowers us to no longer live as slaves, but to live as sons. It's given to us so that we will live our lives in that freedom. It's it's calling over us. Freedom. Freedom in Christ Jesus. You're loved. You're forgiven. You're free. Freedom. We're going to uh, enjoy this meal. Um, uh, through an intention method in Orangewood, we celebrate the Lord's Supper twice a month. The first of the month, we pass trays to one another, and there's great theological importance of that because in Christ Jesus, there's a priesthood of all believers that you can go directly to God, whoever you are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to go through a pastor or a priest. And when you serve one another communion by passing it down the aisle, we are proclaiming something amazingly profound what Christ has done. Through intention, we come and we celebrate the fact that we're one. We're one family. We have one bread and one cup. And we're, we're mindful that we are family together. We come down and we partake of this together. Remind us of our oneness of family as we take. But this is a sacred meal. And this is a meal like, this is us. The story of us, the story of the Bible, the story of the gospel. This is us and this is our meal. And scripture says, don't do this in an unworthy manner. If you're not a part of the family, if this isn't you, if you can't say the gospel, that's my story by God's grace, that's my identity, that's my reality, then don't take a meal that declares physically, tangibly that it is. Matter of fact, scripture says to come to this table in an unworthy manner is a dangerous thing. That each of us should examine our our, our hearts and our lives. And in a moment, as the leaders come down, you'll have an opportunity to do that, to examine your life. And remember, Examining your life should say, am I enough? Wrong question, I'm not. I'm not good enough. Repent and turn to Jesus who is. And then embrace that reality and find life and forgiveness and freedom. Such an important meal. We're gonna ask parents to withhold it uh, from your children until they have met with the elders in a time that they really understand what is happening in this meal. But if you could say, this is us. This is me. This is my story. This meal is for you. After I give you the words of institution, um, I'm going to uh, ask the uh, leaders, the elders to come and and also go to the table. There's one table in the far corner there. That's the gluten-free table. Uh, We moved it inside the room this time, not outside. Just kidding. So, uh, but that's there for you if if you need that. Um, uh, Again, let me remind you that in this intention, we come to the bread. Please take a big enough piece 
because you will take the bread, especially if you're new here, and you will dip it uh, into the juice. It's juice. Um, and so it represents the blood of Christ. Partake of it right away um, and then head back to your seat. So, It was on the very night that Christ was betrayed. That he was up in that room with his disciples and after he gave thanks to the Father, he took bread and he, he broke it. He said, this is my body. It's given for you. I want you to do this in remembrance of me and the freedom you have in me. In a like manner, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Jeremiah promised you this and this is the reality that in this cup, as it represents my blood, that it was shed for the forgiveness of sins for many Take of it, drink of it, all of you, and remember the incredible love and sacrifice that Christ has made for us. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, thank you for the freedom we have in your Son. And thank you that incredibly what we are worth to you is Jesus. And Jesus, you would come and you would set us free through your life, through your death, and through your resurrection. And because of that reality, we know that we're yours, we're loved, we're adopted in, that this is our story. This is us. And you've given your family a sacred meal to strengthen us, to help us stand in that freedom in Christ. Oh God, help us examine our hearts, help us to come to you and proclaim this incredible good news that we are free in Christ Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.